0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect.
0: Define an opportunity.
2: Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now.
0: Identify a problem.
2: Creating an audio ad is time-consuming.
0: Offer a solution.
2: Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.
3: Hey, it's me, the food you're going to prepare for Thanksgiving. Now, maybe you're practicing cooking me before you do it on the big day. Maybe you're going shopping for the ingredients. Maybe you're actually cooking me, no matter what you're doing. If you want to pass the time and be entertained while you're doing these different processes, why don't you listen to an episode of this podcast? Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, in case you missed it last week, we have new Potterless merch. We have an I Took Latin in High School notebook and a The Squad hoodie, both designed by my wife Kelly. They are wonderful. They are beautiful. I'm very excited for them. And DFTBA, our merch partner, is having an early Black Friday sale that ends today, Monday, November 16th. You can get free shipping, domestic and international, if your order is $75 or more. So head on over right now to potterlesspodcast.com merch to get that merch and maybe get free shipping as well. Also, just a heads up that a little bit down the road, we will be doing a Potterless live stream on on Thursday, December 3rd, so mark your calendars. Tickets will be coming available this week. I'll talk more about it in future episodes, but for now, just mark your calendars for Thursday, December 3rd for a Potterless live stream. It'll be evening time EST, but it'll be a thing where you can watch it as a recording. Don't worry all that, but just mark your calendars. Thursday, December 3rd, Potterless Digital Live Show. Now, these announcements have been very exciting, and you know what else is very exciting? The fact that people are supporting the show and keeping it going, and I want to give a special shout-out to our newest patrons, so shout-out to Rebecca Rossler, Katie B, Maeve please, Jessica Cawthorne, Book Ginny, Isabel Viaje, Alyssa Tonkin, and someone that made their username Bob Ogden is my fashion icon. A pronunciation correction for running Alfier, and a I'm sorry for somehow deleting your name from the producer list, apology to Denae Ferguson. And a huge shout out to our newest producer-level patron, Jordan Angle. They join the ranks of Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clow, Marchismo, Samantha, Juan, Rosemary, Marie, Lisa, Romina, Audra, Elnor, Nikita, Rachel, Zachary, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Mark, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, and Nikki Kine, Amanda, Kafir, Sarah, Marta, Maya, Floor, Georgia, Skyla, Adele, Professor Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Kerry, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marcos, Marique, Ashton, Brittany, Phelon, the Meadows, Family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Lori, Jarl, Pita, Janen, Callahan, Leah, Melissa, Bella, Melanie, Becca, Reese, Adam, Joseph, Lily's Mom, Madison, Tonks, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Boni Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Rossanne, Erica, Miranda, Landon, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Leor, Demi, Michelle, Callista, Jennifer, Henrique, Jeremy, Delkis, Katrina, Jerrica, Casey, Megan, Jack, Sophia, Dane. Kirsty, Robin, Chick, Mermaid, Daddykins, Alaria, Lori, Gregory, Stan, Kaka, Nina, Ribbon, Brittany, Ashley, Ravenclaw, Gavin, Jack, Serenity, Emily, Haley, Sabrina, Sean, Jenna, Laura, Mazel Eileen, Annette, Kirsten, Hufflepuff, Brett, Hunter, Mary, Artemis, Trans People Are People, Danae, Samantha, Tatiana, Nina, Taylor, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Tony, Alfier, Steamed Nuggets, and Karen Dye Potter, who never forget to charge their electric toothbrush and have it die halfway through their two-minute brushing in their mouth. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus content, such as director's commentary, bonus episodes, my notes, exclusive merch, Eyes, live streams, and more. You can head on over to patreon.com/slash potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 151 of Potterless, the final episode covering the spin-off book, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find them, guest starring Eric Skull from Mugglecast. Hello, internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult, and now he's reading some shorter, smaller, more colorful on the outside books. My name is Mike Schubert, I'm That Grown Man, and I'm here joined today by another co-host of MuggleCast. The prophecy is is complete now that I've crossed onto your pod, and now you and Mike have been on ours. It's Eric Skull. Eric, how's it going? Hey, Mike.
1: It's uh, really, really good. That's I'm good. excited. I'm excited as well. This is thrilling
3: to be on this show. This is a great show that you have here. Thank you. I do my best. I'm doing my darndest. I'm trying to keep the flame alive, despite the creator of the series trying to extinguish it, but I'm here to not let her win.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, you know, as we go through our our discussion today, I think I might be praising some of the writing. It's just a shame that the person who wrote this book we're going to be discussing died a horrible death (laughs) a long time ago.
3: (laughs) Death by self twitter feed breakdown
1: yeah 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 but uh but no it's uh it's thrilling to be here and yeah like you said these these colorful books is this the green one or the red one this is the red one it's the red one okay all right all right (laughs) you said it's so colorful like it is one
3: main color it's one bright Color. I will say the aesthetics of the second edition, I have both the first one with the Ron and Harry notes and then the newer one. The aesthetics of the newer one is very pleasing, the whole Hogwarts library set. It's very visually nice, looks good on a bookshelf, but now might not look as great on a bookshelf as, you know, maybe if it's far enough away, it's like, what are those pretty books? Oh, don't read the author. (laughs) (laughs) I did notice from first edition to second edition that the first ones are much more into the playing up the canon of it. I don't even know that J.K. Rowling's name is on the outside front cover very prominently, if it's even there at all. But it mainly says by Newt Scamander, where this newer version says J.K. Rowling real big at the top in gold. And then underneath, it's like by Newt commander the character I've created. No, I, I think all of that's uh, <laughs> true. All of that's accurate. I, it checks out. So we are going to be finishing out the rest of the beasts. We will be starting with with Nogtail and getting all the way to the end, which is the About the Author section. So Newt's Commander, The Final Beast. But before we get into it, what is your experience with these books? Did you read them when they came out? Did Barnes & Noble even do a midnight release for this stuff? I'm always so confused by people that read Harry Potter books when they came out. What was it like?
1: You know, I cannot claim uh, for that to have been me because I got into Harry Potter after the first movie. Well, okay. But yeah, so I, I bought the paperbacks of the first uh, four books and I found out that there were these other books that were there or they were also in the same section at the bookstore or whatever. So I do remember reading them fairly early on, but I always liked them. I always thought they were really, really, really cool. Nice. And they also add to canon in a, in a really cool way. I don't think I ever struggled with whether or not they were canon. I don't think those arguments would come along until... After the epilogue was published, it was the first time
3: I heard anybody questioning canon. What I'm only just now realizing is that these books, at least this Fantastic Piece one, came out in 2001, which means it came out in between books four and five. Weren't people mad at how long it took to go from book four to book five? Were people upset when this book came out? Like, hey, why didn't you write the real one? What's this charity shit?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I can speak to that. Although I was not yet a fan, I remember other people being fans at that time. And if you really think about it, you know, between 97 uh, in Britain and 2000 in Britain, she wrote the first four books. And book four in particular is twice as long as the three books that preceded. It's 734 pages US. Don't ask me why I remember that. <laughs> it, it definitely was so much work and there was so much content. And from an author standpoint, she says she was a little burned out. And, and you know, the whatever deadlines she was working under with Bloomsbury and Scholastic, the um, whole thing was that she was rushed and needed to take time off, but still managed to give us these school books. And not only that, But within the next year as well, the first movie came out. So I don't really think people, I mean, I never met anybody who was like really angry that it was taking her so long because we were getting so much content. And not only that, but the first movie and then the second movie came out like exactly one year minus a day after one another so there was just so much content and not only that but this this was when the websites are going up this is when you know all that stuff so i really feel like people were distracted or 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 occupied like those three years to be a harry potter fan and i'm only speaking you know as of the end of 2001 when i get into it being that age time passes differently too so, you know, as a 32 year old, you know, three years, I like to believe that it is slow and I can feel every second of it. <laughs> but as a kid, that goes by in a day, man, a day and a half. Like you're in the sixth grade, you're in the seventh grade, like, and all of a sudden there's a new Harry Potter book. Like I just feel like we knew it was coming and
3: that was good enough for us. Okay. All right. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. I didn't realize how much stuff was coming out, but I could see from her perspective trying to switch stuff up a bit and keep the Harry Potter juices flowing, but not necessarily the exact same ones. It's like when I make a live show episode of Potterless. It's fun and it's still the same, just a little bit different. So (laughs) speaking of that wonderful podcast that we're on right now, let's do it and get into the beasts. Otherwise, we're going to have a fifth episode about this book and that's too many. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, let's do it. So the first beast is the Nogtail. It's a triple X rating. Nogtails are demons that resemble stunted piglets. So now I'm just imagining demonic piglet from The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) What the nogtails do is they try to suckle from an ordinary sow, like a regular pig, but they're a demon piglet that does it. And the only way to get rid of a nogtail is to chase it away from the farm using an albino dog. Why does the dog's fur color matter? I don't understand. I guess magic. So... I gotta ask, is this
1: a summary that you've written or are you reading it direct from the excerpt? I have made bullet points based on Oh, the book. thank God. Okay, I was wondering they'd updated the text so, so, so much <laughs> since, so I'm going off of- Oh, if that was a direct quote, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, why does it need to be an albino is a question in the, in the book, actually. It's Ron and Harry's comments. Uh, yeah, Ron comments. and Harry wrote it in. <laughs> no, it's just Mike's comments, which is great. You should do a version of this book where it's you in the corners mm. uh, doing the thing. I know, I know. No, the reason I ask is I'm working off of this uh, old uh, 2000 book version that I typed into my computer in Microsoft Word. Before eBooks were a thing you could buy on Pottermore, I typed it all up. Uh, so I <laughs> would have, be able to search and find nice. uh, these beasts so I wanted to make sure uh, that, that I wasn't missing the
3: updated text otherwise I'd
1: have to do the same thing again <laughs>
3: <laughs> no you've got it all right the only update that they do from the first version to the second version is take out all the fun Ron and Harry notes, which make <laughs> the book charming and they do add a hyphen between Orang and Yutan in Orangutan <laughs> for some godforsaken reason. is that a line break or is it just uh, it's random? just in it and I I have been told by people throughout the world that this is apparently a normal thing. Also, apparently, which I learned by making this, is that we're not universally set on there being seven continents on Earth. What? And I have never fucking heard this before. People are like, yeah, sometimes you just put the Americas together. Other times you put Europe and Asia together. Sometimes you pretend Antarctica doesn't exist. Why is there not a universal agreement on the number of continents? I feel like this should be like Pluto where we all have a consensus of what the answer is. This is ridiculous. To be fair, like I've forgotten what the good um, reasoning is for Europe
1: not to be part of Asia because it, it's it's landlocked, which bothers me a little bit. And like North and South America are very barely touching, like very, very, very barely touching. So I, I would say you can't group the Americas together, but I get why some people would group uh, Europe and Africa and Asia. Anyway, That's neither here nor there. This is
3: what we're bringing to the table here at the Potteros Podcast. Melting brains. All right,
1: let's talk about the Nogtail because (laughs) this is the first piece, and we got 26 to get through. The first thing in the description here, you did do lovely bullets, but the first thing in the description is Nogtails are demons. Yes. Nogtails are demons found in rural areas. And I'm thinking... Have you noticed on previous episodes, whether when you've been doing this book, the casual mention of demon
3: beasts? Yeah, this book is just too casual about everything that's terrifying. There's so many terrifying elements that are just nonchalantly written. And I guess you chalk that up to Newt Scamander just thinking that it's super normal and not a <laughs> big deal. <laughs> yeah,
1: because like I think it's the Kelpie, it is just also introduced in this way: is a water demon. The Kelpie is, and you're just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, but what is a demon? (laughs) You know, and in J.K. Rowling's world, we have these definitions of warlock and what makes a warlock different from a wizard and this, that, the other thing. Like you can find those answers, but there does not seem to be a similar answer to what makes a a creature a demon or not. And, And that just, that just like low key terrifies me to
3: begin with. The other thing that confuses me on a similar vein is that ghouls, which I always thought were ghosts, are more similar to trolls. So when she says demon, is it another thing where demon doesn't mean ghost? Because when I hear demon, I think evil ghost that can possess people. And that in my brain is what a demon is, not a physical. I wouldn't call a demon a pig. I would think it would be able to fly through walls like a specter of sorts. Before
1: any more Creatures are introduced that are spirits. I demand answers uh, from the author. (laughs) Um, Too bad she died a long time ago, like I said. But yeah, this Nogtail, what I like about this is it, it speaks to, I think, some rural area traditions of believing that your farm is cursed. Or if you have a bad harvest... You know, what are you to do? And I'm thinking not modern day, but I'm thinking, you know, 100 or 200 or 300 years ago. I know this is set in Europe, but I'm thinking of like a, uh, an American pastoral scene where I'm even going back to Puritans for some reason. We're like, if you if you had bad luck, like if your kid had dysentery and died, it didn't have anything to do with like. The local well being poisoned, it had to do with your luck as a or your curse, right? Like you were cursed to to bear this lifestyle. So I like the idea that there would be a beast that could actually have been responsible for a blight on your farm, the way the Nogtail is uh said to curse these farms. I like that a lot.
3: Yeah, I think it's fun. I think it's fun to put it in a place where you wouldn't necessarily Expect to see a mythical creature in a place where there are a bunch of normal animals.
1: Right. And then there's just this demon pig. So you go to the petting zoo. You go to the petting zoo. There's your goats on the left, the roosters on the right, you know, mother hens over there. You get maybe a cat to keep a or a a, a sheep herding uh dog. And then there's just this demon piglet that's coming Here's
3: to- your demon piglet. Yeah. Feed it your regrets. Nom 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 nom. Exactly. So I I like the Nogtail I think that's that's pretty cool. It's also just fun to say Nogtail So let's move on yeah. to the Nundu, which is a 5x rating. It is a gigantic leopard that moves silently, terrifying. Its breath can cause disease that wipes out entire villages. And it takes over a hundred wizards to subdue a nundu. So, uh, terrifying. Not a fan, very scary. <laughs> The entry on
1: this is very short, which I think works to its damage rating, right? So like not much is known because we haven't really been able to study because this beast is so dangerous that we just got to get 100 of our bros out to kill it. But I want to know, how does this thing mate? The details on all of these beasts are not even, I will say.
3: It feels like some of the more interesting beasts get the short end of the stick and (laughs) you want longer descriptions for the ones that get really short ones. I think the most terrifying thing about the Nundu is that it is giant and silent. When something is really big, you don't want it to be nimble. It's like (laughs) how in Super Smash Bros. Melee, Donkey Kong was really fast. That's scary because he's big. And if he's also fast, that is unnerving. Bowser, he's slow. You can beat him up. Not as scary. Yeah, he's powerful, but you can run around him. Same with Ganondorf. But Donkey Kong's too swift, man. I, that's what I'm feeling with this guy. I, I like every word you said. <laughs> so let's move on to the Akami. It's a 4X rating. The Akami is a plumed, two-legged, winged creature with a serpentine body. It is 15 feet long, and it mainly eats rats and birds, but it will also eat monkeys, which feels like a big left turn. <laughs> that does not seem like it would be in the same <laughs> section of the food pyramid <laughs> at all. Rats and birds are both pretty small. To upgrade to monkey is significant.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a primate
3: for Granite Lab. But also, and I feel like I should have the illustrated version, but then I'd have to give money. Just a winged creature with a serpentine body. We're talking about a flying snake? Now, there are flying snakes
1: in nature that are called flying snakes, but they're, they're, they, they undulate. They don't actually have wings. Which is, that That alone is a huge skill. Can you imagine being put in the middle of air and having to like control where you need to go without a wingsuit? It's the same thing. So flying snakes are cool. But yeah, this is an extra level of terrifying. And once you get to monkeys, that's not far from humans. Like that's not far from children
3: humans. Ah, ah. Yeah. yeah. you're right. <laughs> With that terrifying thought complete, let's move on to the Phoenix, which has a 4X rating, but the book clarifies that this 4X rating is due to the lack of much domestication of the Phoenix. So it's not necessarily a dangerous 4X rating. It's one of those respect hard to train 4X ratings. It doesn't kill, which is nice. It only eats herbs. It can teleport just like the Deeracal, the dodo-like bird that we learned about before. And the Phoenix's song can inspire heroes and make the impure fear. And also, of course, their tears can cure basilisk wounds, as we've learned in the books. Mm -hmm.
1: I love the Phoenix as a character. I also, as a kid, spent a weekend in Phoenix, Arizona and liked it. Good town.
3: Good town. Very cheap. Great food. Had a great live show there at the Valley Bar. Went to a great karaoke bar. Went to some hikes. Phoenix is mad underrated. Fun sports teams, incredibly underrated.
1: So, and not to mention, this is the beast that is the familiar, if you will, of Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. We love the Phoenix, right? And Dumbledore's relationship with Fox, also one of the best names for a pet. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this is a a creature that exists in the books. There's extensive um, examples of its powers being uh, put to use. Um, not only in book two, when Harry's uh, life is saved by the tears, um, but also throughout various books, like in five, when Dumbledore escapes by clapping the tail in the movie and he disappears basically. Incredible. But that Yeah. Unbelievable. Great action sequence. Um, but also more recently, the um, Beast's series seems to have given credence uh, his own little phoenix. So we'll see if that's really a phoenix and we'll see what that means if uh we can see these movies without giving any money to the author so Mm. um yeah phoenix phoenix is great and also important to note jk rowling didn't invent them but it's one of the best beasts that got carried over i think there's a really cool aspect of rebirth of death you know from the ashes life uh that speaks to me on a on a human level and i think should speak to all of us from a storytelling standpoint that,
3: you know, life is a big old circle. Wow. That was really touching. I was just going to say it's cool that it's a fire bird, but I like what you said better. Well, also, <laughs>
1: it's cool that it's a fire bird. I promise I don't have uh, that many things to say about some of these other beasts, <laughs> but the Phoenix interests me, man. And I'm also excited to hear that you went to a good karaoke bar in Phoenix.
3: It was a good time. It was a karaoke bar that was not geared towards my bachelor party, which is what we were there for. It was very much... The normal clientele at this bar was not expecting a bunch of soon-to-be-very-drunk 20-somethings coming in, celebrating my bachelor party. But we searched for the nearest karaoke bars, and that was the place. And it was like a pool hall slash sports bar that also was doing karaoke. Everyone else that sang did some sort of country song. And then... I got up there and I did Wanna Be by the Spice Girls with my sister. <laughs> my best man, Johnny, did Lips of an Angel as a joke. Aww. Me and my buddy Sal did the song Don't You Want Me Baby, But You Only Sing. I was working at a waitress in a cocktail bar, a cocktail bar over and over and over again. It was great. I got (laughs) blitzed and uh, everything I remember was very fun. I love that you
1: (laughs) took your sister to your bachelor party.
3: She was one of my groom's people. We did not necessarily gender strict bridal parties at the wedding. I love that. Mad respect. My sister went to my bachelor party. Kelly's brother went to her bachelorette party. It was wonderful. It was great. It's 2020, man. Make stuff co-ed. What are we doing? <laughs> I agree. I agree completely. That's amazing. It was a fun time. The drinks were absurdly cheap,
1: laughably inexpensive. <laughs> man, if COVID weren't happening, I would book a weekend trip. I would just go and do
3: it. Honestly, Looking at the New York prices of alcohol, it might be cheaper to fly to Phoenix, (laughs) go to this bar, and have a night out than it would to have three cocktails at a bar in New York. There you go. Oh, pass, Mike. You goofball. You haven't been talking about Harry Potter for the past few minutes. So while we are off of the subject, why don't we just stay here for a little bit longer and go to a segment that we like to call Wingardium at Redosa. Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Brooklyn. and let's say hypothetically that you are a child in the wizarding world, and you are absolutely terrified of the potential beasts that could harm you in the middle of the night. You want to be able to go to sleep and feel secure in your bed. What could make you feel secure and help you fall asleep right away? Some really comfy bedding from Brooklinen. So Brooklyn was started by Rich and Vicky. They tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg, and when they couldn't find it, they founded Brooklinen and became the first direct-to-consumer betting company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without luxury level markups. They have a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, materials to fit your needs, to fit your tastes. And they are so confident that you will love their products. They offer a 365 day money back guarantee. Now, Kelly and I have some Brooklinen bedding and we have sheets and a duvet cover and pillowcases. And it's just been fantastic. Kelly refers to our Brooklinen sheets as our fancy sheets and our bed looks very nice. And I'll bring Kelly in for a brief testimonial about how much he loves the sheets. I'm
0: trying to think of how best to express how fancy I feel when I'm laying in them.
3: So fancy that it's indescribable.
0: Indescribably
3: fancy. Plus, they're really soft and pretty. Okay, great. Thank you.
0: (laughs) But mostly I feel fancy.
3: And on top of all of this, Brooklinen's biggest sale of the year is going on right now. Brooklinen's Black Friday sale goes through November 30th. You can get huge savings, 20% off and free shipping during their biggest sale of the year. If you go to brooklinen.com right now and use the promo code Potterless, you'll get 20% off and free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter the promo code Potterless for 20% off your order plus free shipping. Again, that's brooklinen.com. Use that promo code Potterless at checkout. And if you're listening to this after November 30th, don't worry, you'll get 10% off your first order plus free shipping at brooklinen.com with the code POTTERLESS. So go to brooklinen.com, use that code POTTERLESS, get those savings, and get some fancy, fancy bedding so that you can fall asleep and not have to worry about scary things bumping in the night today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of POTTERLESS. This episode of Pottery List is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, Neville Longbottom is someone who likes to collect cards. He likes to collect the Chocolate Frog cards, and it's got to be a frustrating experience for him to be ripping open all these Chocolate Frog things, hoping for particular cards. What if there was slightly less randomness in the mix? What if he had a better sense of what cards he could get? Ooh, that sounds like something that could intrigue you if you were trying to get muggle versions of trading cards and stuff. And if that's interesting to you, you should check out Arena Club. Arena Club is a website and service where you can do all sorts of things in the world of trading cards, whether that is sports trading cards or Pokemon cards, you can utilize Arena Club and they have so many cool things. One of the coolest things that they have is slab packs. Slab packs give you more transparency when it comes into ripping open packs and hoping for particular cards in a poll. And I recently opened up a slab pack with Arena Club and it was nice because rather than it just be like this complete black box of I have no idea what cards I'm going to get, they show you a list of, oh, here are the different cards that you could get from this pack. Here's the percentages. And then what's also nice about it, is that if you don't like whatever card you get, you can just sell it right on back to Arena Club, and then boom, you can take those funds and use them to get other cards because they also have a full marketplace where you can search for individual cards. I did that as well. I wanted to get a particular Pokemon card. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu. It's holographic. It's beautiful. I'm looking at it right now, and it's proudly in my studio. Arena Club is a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, display, minting, all sorts of good stuff. If you are involved or interested in any sort of card collecting, trading cards, stuff like that, I think Arena Club will be right up your alley. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash potterless. Wow, that's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slap pack, for example. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So check that out if you want to have a little less randomness in your life, whether it is with muggle trading cards or chocolate frog cards like Neville today. So let's move on to the pixie. It's a 3X rating. It's a mischievous fairy. And I don't find them particularly interesting, especially because we've already talked about fairies and doxies and imps. It just seems like another one of these. But what I do think is very fun is that in the original edition of the book, one of the Ron Harry notes next to where it has 3Xs says... But 7X if you're Gilderoy Lockhart. (laughs) I love the kids making fun of their teachers.
1: Well, and that that teacher in particular was very (laughs) out of his league with the the Pixies, shall we say. And a terrible person. Yes. I want to shout this out. Recently on MuggleCast, we did an episode that was all about the the scariest uh, moments in the Harry Potter series. I said from book two was Gilderoy Lockhart because that man- is his incompetence is terrifying.
3: It really is. It truly is. And also when he does the turn and threatens to wipe the memory of Ron and Harry, mm. that's very scary, especially when you remember that they were 12 years old then. Even if he is the most incompetent teacher at the school, it's still an adult versus kids. Yeah. Oh, and we were told
1: that his memory charms are the one thing he was good at mm-hmm. and he would have to be in order to secure
3: his fame. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go on to the Plimpy, another 3X reading. It is a spherical fish with webbed feet. Now, there was a little drawing of it in my edition, and it looks <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> this thing looks like it's straight out of Alice in Wonderland. I love it. It's basically an aquatic Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc., oh. and I am very here for the Plimpy. Also, Plimpy is such a great name. I'm super down for Plimpies. I love that the people have shit with the Plimpies. In the description,
1: it says it's considered a pest by merpeople. And I love that there's this creature that is basically just like their squirrel. <laughs> like it's considered a pest. They tie its rubbery legs in a knot. Uh, you know, so like I can just imagine somebody abusing a squirrel because it keeps eating their begonias or whatever.
3: The people just seem like... Like an angry, passive aggressive roommate. It seems like from this book, a lot of things make the mer people upset, and the way they go about dealing with the things that anger them are just such petty decisions. Tying an animal's legs together and then throwing it across the ocean just feels like an immature approach to pest removal. <laughs> Agreed. So the next creature we have here is the Pograbin. It's a 3X rating. And for some of these, I did a live show at a LeakyCon and I gave them, because it's a textbook, I gave them yearbook superlatives. So the Pograbin I awarded most likely to become the star of Bird Box 2, colon, this time it's personal. (laughs) Because the Pograbin, also a demon, it's a Russian demon that is a foot tall. If it trails a human for over an hour, the futility overcomes its prey. The prey would then fall into lethargy and despair, just wondering what is the purpose of it all when they sink to their knees at the pointlessness of it all, is what the book says. Then the bin devours them. Now, it's defeated by a simple hex, or the book also says, quote, Kicking has also been found effective. (laughs) So I guess that's why it only has a 3x rating, but everything else except for the fact that it's very easy to get rid of sounds horrifying. I agree completely. It's like some short dude following you on the street. Yeah. Like you turn
1: around and you're like, hey, dude, stop following me. And he won't let up.
3: Now, here's a question. Are Pogger more or less successful at Devouring Prey in 2020 because we're already constantly all sunk to our knees at the pointlessness of it all, does that mean they can eat everybody? Or because we're already there, they haven't earned the ability to eat them by forcing the people to feel this because we're all already there, Chief. Mike, I think that that is the million-dollar question. Cool. I look forward to my million-dollar check from (laughs) Warner Brothers. (laughs) So the next creature is the Porlock. It's a 2X rating. It is a small, hairy horse guardian, and it mistrusts humans, which... Honestly, probably a good decision for a poor <laughs> So we move on to the Puffskin or the Puff skine. It is a spherical and furry beast that is very much okay with being cuddled or thrown. It hums when it's happy. So I guess like a cat's purr. And it has a long tongue that loves to eat boogers of sleeping wizards. <laughs> Definitely what I thought was going to be the end of that sentence when I started to read it. And there's a little note Underneath it, the Ron and Harry version has a note where Ron writes, I had one of them once. what happened to it? And Harry writes, Fred used it for bludger practice, which feels so cruel to a cute little animal. But yeah, I don't know how I feel about the booger eating. It does specify that it's of sleeping wizards. So if I was asleep and a beast ate my boogers, I guess I wouldn't feel so bad about it, but... It would be terrifying to wake up <laughs> to a very long tongue in your nose.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't know that we've seen puff in the books as often as we've seen the pygmy puffs. I wonder if the pygmy puffs have retained this preference for boogers, but I love that this beast exists because it's completely out there and zany and weird. And also I love things that I can cuddle. Mm-hmm. That's like a secret key to my heart is, <laughs> is something fluffy. And small. It comes to, I had rabbits as a kid. Ah, okay. And they were very soft. Very, very soft. You ever feel a rabbit? Probably when I was nine, but I haven't felt one in well, quite some time. Okay, make it, schedule an appointment. There's actually a place <laughs> in Chicago now where you can go and just pet rabbits.
3: Honestly, feels very therapeutic right now. I could very much go for that. Next time you're here, man, <laughs> if you're ever in Chicago, let, hit me up and we'll go there. Let's do it. Honestly, let's make it happen. I could pet some bunnies. It's uh, going to be a 2021 mood for me. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I found. Funny about what you brought up with the pygmy puff is because when they started describing it, I wondered if the pygmy puff was related to it, and I had the idea that the pygmy puff is. Like when a dog breeder makes a specific, very cute breed, and I can imagine someone having a puff and then thinking, man, this thing's really cute. The giant long tongue that eats boogers, (laughs) not a fan (laughs) of. Gotta go. What if we bred one that has all the cute features, but none of the booger eating tongue elements?
1: Yeah, I think that that's exactly, I think it's in the um, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes chapter where they go and find puff Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that it's labeled that, that pygmy puffs are miniature puff skeins. I think that's Mm. what that, and they've been bred into the, you know, some traits have been removed.
3: Probably the booger eating. Yeah. Hopefully it's been done ethically. I know (laughs) very little about animal breeding, but it all seems not good and terrible. So hopefully the wizards are doing a better job than us. Yeah. So the next creature is the, Quintaped, Quintiped, which is also known as the Harry McBoone, which is also known as the, when I was at the live show for LeakyCon, I called it a Quintaped, and thankfully no one made fun of me during, but on the way out, someone very politely whispered to me, did you call the Quintiped the Quintaped? And uh, I thanked them for not saying anything during the live show and losing all credibility in front of a live audience of people for anyone that didn't know who I was. But I do think I performed that right around the time I had an episode where I mispronounced underfed as underfed so it tracks. Wow. Yeah, it was bad. Not my, not my finest moment being a professional talker. <laughs> <laughs> so the Quintiped Is a 4X rating. I assigned this the most likely to be written by J.K. Rowling's kid because (laughs) the story for this thing is just off the wall. So it eats humans. Great start right off the bat. But the legend of the Quintipet is that there was a drunken duel between two Scottish families, the McCliverts and the Macboons. And it led to the death of Dugald McClivert, the leader of the McCliverts. And in retaliation... The McCliverts turned the MacBoons into these giant quintipeds. And they are these five legged, they look like if starfish. Got hairy and then had faces on them. So it's tarantula esque. It also gives me vibes of those hand thumb things from Spy Kids. Yes.
1: It definitely yes. has
3: big, big, big vibes of that. But the problem with the McCliverts turning the MacBoons into the Quintipeds is that the MacBoons were now very dangerous <laughs> and they did not mind being these big, hairy monstrosities. So they destroyed all of the McCliverts, and they refuse to be turned back into humans, and now they're just their own species. Wow. I'm convinced a nine-year-old wrote
1: this. Okay, but even if it did, you gotta <laughs> have that beast where it's like the stuff of nightmares, but also people are like, you know what, I like being this thing. I feel powerful like this. I feel less insecure than I did as a human. It, it, there's still parts of this story that speak to me as being that's true to
3: life. It feels ripe for a Disney story where you have a kid, Harry McBoone, that learns through the history of their family that they used to be humans, Mm. and then they go out, they try to be a human. It's basically The Little Mermaid, but on land with giant tarantula
1: (laughs) starfish. I like
3: it, I like it, let's write it. (laughs) So the next piece is the Remora. It is a 2X rating. It's a silver fish that can anchor ships and guard seafarers. Seems nice, and it's a very short description in this book.
1: Yeah, I like the Remora, I'm glad it's there. Seems to help people out as they're trying to cross big bodies of water. Good for it, good for you, Remora.
3: Hooray, we move on to the red cap, 3X rating. They are dwarf-like creatures that live in the holes of old battlegrounds where blood has been spilled feels very specific, but also the red cap will attempt to bludgeon muggles to death. And this is something we brought up in earlier episodes is that when you have a beast that specifically targets muggles and not wizards, that gets confusing because how do they know? (laughs) Where do they draw the line? And what's the point? (laughs) I feel like this is a creature that was
1: invented to explain dark phenomenon going on in graveyards or Mm. battlegrounds uh, like Gettysburg. So I grew up in eastern Pennsylvania and uh, a short drive is to Gettysburg, the bloodiest uh, battle of the war.
3: Right. Yes. I've seen Remember the Titans as well. Oh, well,
1: there you go. (laughs) A lot of the local economy is centered around these ghost tours and this, that, the other thing. But to actually be terrified, like you dare, no matter where you grew up, were you ever dared to go into a graveyard at night? It's that kind of a thing, like, you know, captures our imagination. So it's likely that this beast that could be clubbing people over there or devouring people while they're being somewhere they shouldn't be on a graveyard. That's exciting to me because it's like, oh, yeah, this is dangerous. And this is
3: why you shouldn't go to a graveyard at night. Checks out. Makes sense. Feels very urban legendy, but it does get scary when you realize that this being a textbook means all of these things are true and not just folklore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well,
1: I like that too, that it's like anything that was ever in folklore, uh, it's that theory that all myths or stereotypes have truth to them. J.K. Rowling took that and made this book like, every myth I've found is a real creature. Here you go. So that seems kind of cool.
3: Yeah. The next creature is the re M, and yes, I'm pronouncing that with an apostrophe in the middle of it, R-E apostrophe E-M, 4X rating. They are giant oxen with golden hides, and their blood gives the drinker super strength. So I feel like if these guys aren't already extinct, they have to be endangered. They gotta be close because <laughs> Golden hide plus super strength blood, people are gonna really wanna do bad things with that.
1: That is a great point. That is such a great point. And you know there's like an extreme wizarding sport in North America where these are found, or the Far East, where there's like a wrestling match but you're super strength because you've been drinking the blood of this beast. Mm. You know, like like mega gladiators, I'm thinking like.
3: What the XFL is to football, there is souped up stuff Steroids quidditch for wizards.
1: Exactly, exactly. So the Re- M, I agree with you 100%. It's probably
3: highly endangered. Mm-hmm. So we move on to the Rune Spoor, which is a 4X rating. It is a three-headed snake. The book describes it as livid orange, which is my favorite color wheel brother of violently purple. (laughs) And it has black stripes. They are not vicious, but dark wizards love them basically for their aesthetic because it's a three-headed snake. I appreciate this. The left head of the snake is a planner. The middle head of the snake is a dreamer. And the right head of the snake is a critic. And it takes in the argument of the left-in-the-middle head. Feels like that one should be in the middle. It felt like that one being on the side didn't make as much sense. <laughs> I feel like the critic should be in between the other two heads that are arguing. But anyway, that critic head on the right also has venomous fangs. And the scariest part of this thing is that it produces eggs through their mouths. Now, I do not know how snakes work. Is that normal? Do they out eggs like they're fucking Yoshi? <laughs>
1: Well, the only thing that comes to mind for me is when snakes and other creatures eat eggs. And so I, I picture, I have this picture of a snake
3: with like an egg in its mouth. Right, but does a snake produce eggs from its mouth normally? It feels like it's not normal, otherwise this book wouldn't have pointed that out. Yeah,
1: I mean, I a, a quick, uh, I'll get where back to you on that. Where do snake
3: my... eggs come from? Let's see, Google. Oh, nice, Quora, first question, first result on Google, where do eggs come out of on snakes? Ah, okay. Uh, snakes have a cloaca, so they come out from the body towards the tail. It's not the mouth. Right. This has been okay. Animal Corner right. with Mike Schubert. <laughs> and has it, did anybody else get a,
1: a mental image of Statler and Waldorf as a snake? Oh, <laughs> the critic and they're arguing, and ah. they're, but like there's
3: a third one. There's a third one that's there to keep the peace. I guess it would be Fozzie Bear, and then the other two yeah. are just constantly waka, waka. chiding him, going. oh, <laughs> I love it. They're my favorite Muppets, so I'd be very okay with that sneak existence. They're the best Muppets. So the next creature is the Salamander. It's got a 3X rating. We know salamanders. It's a fire-dwelling lizard that feeds on flame, but also pepper. So I guess JK was like, you know what else is hot, but a different synonym when stuff is spicy. Salamanders eat flames and pepper. Here we are, fire lizard.
1: <laughs> yeah, salamanders have a lot more going on in Harry Potter than I ever knew them to, but there's a long history of that, and that's
3: very weird to me. hmm mm-hmm. The next creature is the sea serpent, 3X rating. It has a horse-like head and a snake-like body that rises in humps out of the sea. So I was confused because... This sounded more like the Loch Ness Monster than the Kelpie, which this book says is the Loch Ness Monster. Right.
1: Yes. So the Kelpie is introduced as being the real Loch Ness Monster... But the sea serpent, which it looks like, is also a fantastical beast. So she didn't just say sea serpents aren't real. They're secretly all Kelpies. She said sea serpents are real, but the Loch Ness Monster is not one of them. Mm -hmm. I found this part to be very
3: confusing. Yeah, same. So let's move on to the Shrake. 3X rating, it is a fish covered entirely in spines. It's rumored to have been created as revenge against muggle fisher folk who insulted a team of sailing wizards in the early 1800s. I want an entire book series about these muggle fisher folk that shit-talked <laughs> wizards sailing because those people sound incredible. Yeah,
1: this is a very, very, very good cautionary tale. Don't piss off a wizard, they'll get you back.
3: <laughs> By making fish that are completely
1: spines. That's like an abomination against nature, but it's kind of like a, just because we can, we will. This is another beast that was created, just like the one that we just read about, the clubbed yeah. feet, the five club feet. Like There are beasts that wouldn't occur in nature- and wizards have created them, that speaks to... I I don't know, it's not clean and tidy, so I like it.
3: It's terrifying that you could just create a race of species. It feels like there would be more and more and more and more, and it also feels like evil wizards would make more and more and more scary ones.
1: That's true, actually. That's very true. If dark wizards were as prevalent in wizard society as they perhaps could be, as serial killers were in the uh, United States... 20 years ago, you would have a, a huge swath of dangerous beasts to contend uh, with.
3: Yeah, I mean, it just makes me question Voldemort for not having more beasts on his side or creating beasts for the occasion.
1: Yeah, what's exciting? He has a whole troll army, but like who the hell cares about trolls? Yeah. They're not even very smart. Like
3: some demon snakes, come on.
1: Yeah, exactly.
3: So the next beast is the Snallygaster. It is a 4X rating. I gave this the superlative of most likely to fail chemistry because it's part bird, part reptile with fangs made out of serrated steel like it's a bread knife and it has a bulletproof hide. This feels like it was made by a 14-year-old trying to make the coolest animal for a creative writing (laughs) assignment.
1: I don't disagree with you at all.
3: I just don't get how you are part bird, part reptile. I just... I don't know. There are so many things where the book just says part this animal part this wildly different animal and then just doesn't explain how it works.
1: Well, it, aren't velociraptors originally like which we yeah. think of as being like dinosaurs? Like aren't they actually feathered or
3: they were feathered and birds
1: themselves are descendants of dinosaurs?
3: I guess this is a wizarding raptor. Yep. That's now that's some scary shit if it's got serrated steel teeth <laughs> and a bulletproof hide because what do you do? What do you do? The other thing I found interesting here it says it has a bulletproof hide. Do wizards have guns? Hmm. Why is bulletproof a term in this book? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. <laughs> when have we
1: ever seen a wizard with a gun why is bulletproof a word never in fact guns are so not common that they have to be defined in the daily prophet the one time guns are mentioned Mm -hmm. a kind of muggle wand that that muggles use to kill each other or something so yeah guns are
3: not common in wizard folk big oversight by jk this is why you gotta hire me as the editor missed opportunity Uh so the next piece is the Snidget, 4X rating. I did a whole thing about this in Quidditch throughout the ages or just moving on. The beast after that is the Sphinx, 4X rating. We know the Sphinx from Goblet of Fire. It's got a human head and that big old body and it asks and it asks riddles and if you get them wrong, it attacks you, it's used to guard things. I appreciate the Sphinx a lot. I will never forgive the fourth movie for not including it. I think that that should be higher on the list of things that got left out because I wanted to see the Sphinx.
1: I mean, I was a little underwhelmed with the riddle read that I was offended I was not smart enough to figure out the riddle. Ah, See,
3: the key was you need to read the books at age 24 Uh, because I was very proud of myself for getting the very simple, in retrospect, riddle correct.
1: I do. Uh, yeah, I didn't get it. I hated it. I didn't care for it. I didn't like it at all. And the s- <laughs> Sphinx, therefore, for me, I could I could live without it.
3: Super valid, hundred percent valid. We love a beef. <laughs> so the next creature is the streler. So three X rating. It's a giant snail that changes color every hour, which is fun, and it leaves a venomous trail. Now, this is something that some listeners have pointed out to me about this book that I want to make sure that I bring up in an episode because it's a valid point. Sometimes when J.K. Rowling uses Venomous, it's correct. And sometimes when she uses Poisonous, it's correct. There's a couple of times where she doesn't use it correctly. Venomous is supposed to be if something bites you and injects venom into you. It's Venomous. And then Poisonous is if you eat something and then you get dead or bad feelings. It's Poisonous. So that's the distinction. I don't know if Venomous makes sense for a snail trail sludge because... I guess maybe Venom's in it, so it could make sense, but this was one of the instances that stood out to me after I was reading this section after the first episode came out. Some people pointed it out, but apparently, J.K. Rowling, and then just people in general, mess it up all the time. So, now if you want to be snooty in a conversation, You can think this in your head, but not say it out loud. Just know that you're right and don't tell the other person that you're right if they misuse it. I love that. I think that's great. Yeah. I'm blown away by this distinction and I will try never to make this same mistake. We're learning things here in the Potterails podcast. It's now educational. (laughs) So we now move on to the Tebow. It's a 4X rating, not to be confused with Timothy Tebow, the failed quarterback (laughs) and failed minor league baseball player. Tebos are colored warthogs that can turn invisible. I'm imagining stealth Pumbaa, and I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) So the next creature is the Thunderbird. It's a 4X rating. It is the big old bird that we saw in the first Fantastic Beasts Uh, book. It's also a great car. Uh, The (laughs) Thunderbird just seems very cool. It's also got one of the houses of Iolvermorny is named after it. It creates storms as it flies. The book doesn't really go into the danger of it, of why it's a 4X rating. So I guess maybe that's because it could create a twister if it was really mad at you. Maybe that's why, or maybe it could shoot lightning at its prey of sorts. But the Thunderbird just seems... Very cool. I'm here for the Thunderbird. Also, what a great name. Yeah.
1: Thunderbird is great. It happens to be my Ilvermorny house.
3: Same. I'm I'm also in the Thunderbird Ilvermorny house. Twins. <laughs> yeah, we kick some ass and have a good time. I know nothing about the house. I couldn't tell you a single trait. It's it's like if
1: Hufflepuff and Gryffindor had a child.
3: Oh, cool. That's basically what I am anyway. Well, there you go. That's me. Cool. I'm here for it. But
1: yeah, so, so big uh, eagle-like creature, and I would never want to
3: offend an eagle lest it kill me. Of so. course. So, the next piece is the troll. It's a 4X rating. Trolls are 12 feet tall. They talk in grunts, and there's a couple different varieties. There is the forest troll, which feels like a Sasquatch. <laughs> and then there is the river troll, which is purple and lurks under bridges. So, your classic, what's your favorite color? Troll, I believe. <laughs> I was thinking the Billy Goats Gruff, the Three Billy Goats right. Gruff. as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I, I went the Monty Python route, which is still my favorite. Uh, green, oh, I mean blue. <laughs> <laughs> I like that J.K. Rowling's
1: able to reference several areas using one beast. So exactly like you just said, there's there's a couple of like choose your own adventures for trolls. I like that. I like that a lot. By just saying here's one beast instead of doing a beast to explain each instance in mythology or storytelling it's the same beast but they're
3: you know different regions the only thing that i found confusing is that it says trolls are 12 feet tall i don't understand how you lurk under a bridge if you're 12 feet tall it feels like you can't really lurk it feels like you just are under a bridge now i lived (laughs) in seattle and there is a big cool art display it's this big concrete troll that is under an overpass it's a really sweet park but i wouldn't say that it is lurking it's very obviously there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i think at a certain
1: point you begin to feel like it's part of the rock face ah. and you're not expecting it to have been you know but it is purple yeah the purple one yeah i can't i can't really <laughs> explain that i don't know maybe some good graffiti like ah. you're saying maybe it just looks like <laughs> graffiti
3: so the only other troll note i have here is that in the original edition there is a little drawing, I assume by Ron. It's a troll little drawing, and it says, my name is Gregory Goyle, and I smell. Feels very much like a middle
1: school insult. Yeah. I think there's more than one character that is described as being troll-like or having troll-like features. It's part of the grading system, which
3: feels kind of <laughs> mean to trolls. You know, trolls synonymous with failure. Yeah, yeah. That's an even better point. Good for you. So the next creature is the unicorn. It's a 4X rating. Again, this is the... 4X rating because we need to respect it, distinction. And the book says, quote, the unicorn, like the fairy, has received excellent Muggle press, in this case, justified. So I love the shade that Newt's Commander is throwing at fairies, which I agree with. They don't seem as interesting as a freaking unicorn. So I support Newt being very pro-unicorn and a little bit anti-fairy. And also just being perplexed by muggles liking fairies in general. Right. The next creature is the Wampus Cat, which has a wild name. It's a 5X rating, and it says, quote, somewhat representing the mundane mountain lion or cougar. I'm sorry, mundane in front of mountain lion or cougar? Have you ever seen a mountain lion? a cougar or been on a hike and been afraid that you are going to be eaten by one because I've been on one I was on a hike in Seattle once and someone said oh I read last week that someone on this trail got attacked by a cougar thanks bud could have told me this before we picked this hike now I'm stressed for four hours <laughs> Wampus is also a house at Ilvermorny. Oh, okay. What is this one? Is it a hybrid of Slytherin and Ravenclaw? I
1: think that it's actually...
3: No, Wampus are the warriors. It's the Gryffindor and Slytherin. Ah. The only other note I have about the Wampus Cat is that their eyes have hypnosis and legitimacy powers, which makes this 5X rating make a lot of sense because that sounds very scary.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anytime a beast is just loaded with these different abilities and powers and is, like, scary to begin with... Also, Cats are very good, like hunters. So yeah, that's terrifying.
3: That's terrifying. Yeah, so let's move on to the werewolf. 5X rating, but the book clarifies the 5X is for its transformed state. So when it's not a person, (laughs) we obviously know a lot about werewolves because of Lupin and our homie Fender of Greyback. But the one note that I want to say here is that in the Ron and Harry note edition, next to werewolf, there is a written in dash S. So werewolves aren't all bad, which I love them in a book where they have made fun of Hagrid jokingly and put down Gilderoy Lockhart, they are also raising up Lupin, and I'm here for
1: it. I like that. That's very nice. I agree with that. And nothing more to say on the werewolf, I guess. It, it It's terrifying, but only in its uh, transformed state. And you can kind of predict when that's going to happen.
3: So then we have the winged horse. That is a whole section. It says that they range from 2X to 4X. They don't say which of the breeds get which X's, so I don't get what the point of this is. I also don't understand why dragons didn't have it. I guess they were just all universally 5X, but- Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, it's just like, oh yeah, they range from two to four, but we're not gonna tell you which, figure it out. <laughs> so they've got the Abraxan, which is a giant Palomino horse. I had to Google Palomino, and that's just like a regular type of horse. <laughs> then there's the Athonin, which the book describes as chestnut. There's the Granian, which is gray and fast. And then the Thestral, aka bony Pony, as I like to call them. Winged horses. I always imagined that Pegasus would have been a specific type, but I guess Pegasus is just the name of one of the winged horses in Greek mythology is what they're going for here. Mm -hmm. I was surprised that Pegasus wasn't a type. Right, right, yeah. But winged horses, pretty cool, big fan. And we get into our final beast, which is the Yeti, AKA the Abominable Snowman. It's a 4X rating. It is believed to be related to the troll and it eats anything whatever it wants but it is afraid of fire so hmm makes sense for the snow ones and i guess bigfoot because plant type also not very effective against fire type so i guess just a different combination of things that don't like fire
1: and those are the yetis whenever i think of yeti i think of the monsters inc uh yeti yes of course (laughs) (laughs) i just watched monsters inc
3: two days ago with my wife quality film
1: was it her first
3: time seeing it? No, she had seen it before. We had just realized we hadn't seen Monsters University since uh-huh. it came out, so we watched yeah. that, and immediately, once we finished, it thought, "Well, now we have to watch Monsters Inc." Naturally, of and then course. of course, cried our eyes out at the final boo scene, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. Yeah, but the Yeti's like uh, great dude,
1: and uh, mm-hmm. I, I love misunderstood. The, uh, yeah, well, and it, but yet again, we have again a beast that explains folklore, a beast mm-hmm. that explains unexplained sightings. Like this is. You know, if you're doing a story where you have this wizarding world that is parallel to our own, the secret hidden world of magic, it makes perfect sense that you would take these types of stories or, or reports of the supernatural or the unexplained and attempt to explain it through the lens of your new world, of your thing. So, you know, ending on the Yeti is a, a great way to just drive home that point that this is... Um, you know, the world
3: beyond our own, but it has an explanation. Yeah, and the final note that I have here is that underneath the Yeti, Ron has written really big, Chudley Cannons. Classic middle school move to write your favorite sports team in a textbook. Ron has done it here. The only other thing in this book is the about the author section, which is fine, but there's two things I found strange. The first of which is that it talks about this book being a bestseller, which I find strange to write in your own book. I guess it would make sense in the context of I was reading out of the second edition. I don't remember if this was in the first one as well.
1: Well, the intro, I don't either. And I, of course I have them, but I won't look. Uh, But the, the intro of this version said that it was new and up to date with newly revealed Mm. beasts or something like that. Uh, So the Wampus uh, and the Thunderbird were not around in the originals so far as I can recall. Uh, and so the the bestseller, like the updated edition, um, is allowed to say, oh, this was a bestseller. Just like you'd see new updated editions of regular books that have been made into movies with the check out the smash blockbuster hit, <laughs> you know,
3: from Lionsgate Pictures. Now, the other concern that this raised was, is there a bestseller list for textbooks? Because this is a textbook. I've never, none of my school books were like New York Times bestseller, Chemistry 101. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: well... I mean, weren't they though? Because you had a fair share of what what was your
3: major? I was a mechanical engineering major.
1: Naturally leads to podcasting. <laughs> okay, well then I guess I guess I guess not. But I'm saying I was I was in English uh lit and creative writing, and so a lot of our school quote textbooks or course books that we needed for the course were in fact widely published, widely circulated. You know, even in media studies or, or for some of your gen eds, surely there was like a you know, just a well circulated book
3: that was assigned reading i don't know maybe my multivariable calculus textbook just slapped <laughs> and topped all the charts. <laughs> uh.
1: so i don't know i mean i but i i have a feeling that before it was a hogwarts textbook it was an actual just you know book, guidebook book, yeah. in the style of any like a that's like having
3: a cookbook that mm. eventually is
1: used in culinary
3: school i can see it i can see it. yeah, yeah, yeah. the final thing i have here is that in, I guess, what is a spoiler if you care about the Fantastic Beast movies is that it says his wife is named Porpentina and he has three measles. So it does give away that he's going to get with Tina in the Fantastic Beast book, but that was pretty obvious already. But my initial reaction when he said this was, oh man, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, there's no
1: arguing with that. He's not with her yet as of the film series. And so that's kind of shadowing the future foreshadowing
3: Mm -hmm. I guess is the word yeah but that's the end of Fantastic Beasts we've made it through all the beasts and here we are so Eric Thank you so much for joining on. This has been- congratulations. We did it. It only took us four episodes somehow, but we talked about every beast. That's great. Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> I love that. I love that a lot. Uh, congratulations uh, on your achievement. You know, it just took me a month to read a 90 page maybe book.
1: I will say there, there's
3: so much. There's, there's a lot There's of so many ways
1: you could go with
3: it. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. Thank you. I appreciate it. But I also appreciate you coming on the show. If people want to hear you doing stuff, Podcast-wise, they're going to find you on the internet. Where can they do so? So
1: I have a new podcast wow. that's out uh, the last couple of months. It's very, very new, but it's called Thank You for spealing mm. That's S-P-I-E-L-I-N-G. I'm super proud of it. It's the first time. So I've been podcasting for 15 years since 2005 when MuggleCast wow, started. Y'all. I know, I know, I know. And I've had several podcasts uh, throughout the years, but this is the first one that I can call firmly mine. Cool. There are various episodes of... Uh, on each different topics so if you don't like one look at the others and there's actually been a few on coronavirus uh which is really really interesting uh just like you i have people write in saying hey i'm like a phd in this field can i come and talk on that yeah so people are are really really um writing in and i really love that but definitely go check it out again thank you for spieling and uh, just like Micah before me, I'm on the weekly Harry Potter podcast, Mugglecast, which you can check out. And I am on Twitter at Spielerman, S-P-I-E-L-E-R-M-A-N.
3: Wonderful. Well, Eric, thank you again so much for joining on. Listeners, thanks for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, as they are trying to identify beasts while flipping through their copy of Fantastic and Where to Find Them, Wizard on! <laughs> In today's intro, I talked about the early Black Friday sale that our merch partner, at DFTBA, is having, but there will be sales all the way from now until December 1st. It's going to vary for all of the Multitude shows, different prices for different items and different shows, but we'll have different sales going through the end of the month. If you want to see all of those and our wonderful items, you can head on over to slash merch. Piralist was created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mick Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Klaus, Lopu, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan San Rosemary, Dodge, Marie, Lisa. Keen, Romina Rivaden, Audra, Eleanor Curley, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Alex Counselor, John Cocker, Noel Basil, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah Tracy Toya, Kailyn Jennifer Markley, Justin Montero, Jacob Parish, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Zena Resnawski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Nikki Harris, Kine, Amanda Alford, Kafir, Shaltiel, T.L. Sarah Shetter, Marta Morris, and Maya Floor Sake, Georgia Davis, Sky Lily, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hauskovchova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Bienkowski, Jen Went Nedry, O.S. Will Huser, Marco Sepeda, Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Good. Tierras, Fail on the Meadows. Family: Ginny from the Block. Heather Lingiel, Kevin Stewart, Laurie McDonald, Jarrell S5 Peter McGrath. Jan Rose Daub, Callahan and Darius Leah Reed, Melissa Rab, Bella Baralak, Melanie Demi, Becca Spry, Reese Dignan, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Lily's Mom, Madison. Don't call me an infidora. Sabrina Balsiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie Dolev, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Boney Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Riki Mangor Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Quedes, Laurel Happy, Rossanne Batamana, Erica Butler, Miranda Landon Schrousch, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sandra Rose. Craig McRoberts, Leo Nachum Demi. Lynn Michelle Spurgeon, Calista Delano, Jennifer Terzian, Henrique Wolf, Jeremy Elmore, Delkis, Katrina Smith, Jericho Law, Casey Canales, Megan Stampin, Zat, Jack Skitzes, Sophia Lyon, Dane Nemture, Kirsty, Robin Garcia, Chick Mermaid Enter, Daddy Kins, Elaria, Vicentin, Laurie, Gregory Hughes, The Real Stan, Chun Pike, Kaw Kaw, Mother Feathers, Nina Jazalik, Ribbon Monstrosity, Brittany Harper, Ashley Summers, Your Friendly Neighborhood, Ravenclaw, Gavin Miller, Jack Parr, Serenity, Allen, Emily Quinlan, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Sean Allen, Jenny Browers, Laura, Mazel, Tov, Hila, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Kirsten R. Cunningham, Hufflepuff Alumni Bre- and Hunter Gordon, Mary Price, Artemis, Tatiana Schmitova, Taylor Roberts, Karis Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Tony Joe, Wandering Alphir, Dene Ferguson, Jordan Engel, Steamed Nuggets, and Caratide Potter. Web designed by Kelly Schubert and the music is by Vitina Campamanis. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash twitter.com slash potterlustpod, instagram.com slash Podcast, and reddit.com slash r slash For any and all information about the show, you can go to potterlustpodcast.com. Bonus content lives at patreon.com slash and merch including the new merchandise lives at potterlesspodcast.com slash merch. If you want to tell someone about the show, if you think of someone that would like it and you tell them, hey, there's this podcast, Potterless, you should check it out. That really helps. Or you could leave a rating interview online. That's also very nice. Thanks again so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on.
0: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the
0: bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect.
0: Define an opportunity.
2: Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now.
0: Identify a problem.